0: Welcome to Much More Much Here with Pup Duffy and Carol Lane, an odd imagination production. Guys, I am here with writer director David Lancaster. His film documentary, Speed is Expensive, Philip Vincent and the Million Dollar Motorcycle comes out digital, DVD on September twenty-sixth. What I loved about the documentary, I went into it not knowing anything, which is kind of a beautiful way to go into something. Yeah. And I thought y'all about uh, the person who bought it that what he did with it no it, this is the history of philip vincent as a child how he got into building motorcycles getting his head felt up and you know um what do you call that predicting his future and yes did, what the bikes were used for and ultimately unfortunately like the decline of it all this was based on a concept that you had uh, have you always been into motorcycles? Did you find out about this one or did you always love it? I've never heard of this type of bike. I'm not an expert by any stretch.
1: Um, it, was, uh, it was sort of hiding in plain sight in a way because uh, my parents had Vincent motorcycles. My my father rode one most of his life. Wow. So I got into Vincent's just through being around them and being around the people and um, but in parallel to that, when I when I left university, I became a journalist, and I did some television work. I worked for okay. Top Gear, and I, I, I maybe it took me twenty five or thirty years. And I, I thought this this story yeah. that's sort of sitting in front of me about Philip Vincent, who I met when I was you know a young boy. Uh, I've got a vague recollection of meeting him, and gradually. I thought, well, there is a story here that these motorcycles have. They went through a very unrevered period in the 60s and 70s. They were just viewed as sort of old men's motorcycles, but they became in the 80s and 90s, the prices started to go up and they became more appreciated for the brilliant creations that they are. Um, And I hooked up with my co producer, Jerry Jenkinson, at, at a Vincent rally. And we thought. Would't it be good a good idea to track down and interview the remaining men and women who built the motorcycles and worked at the factory? That was our initial sort of uh, impetus. Uh, and that's what we did. And um, we tracked down fourteen, um most of whom sadly have passed away now the the, the project's taken so long. Um, <clears throat> but it was we were also keen. Both Jerry and I, there, there was obviously a great story here. The motorcycles are beautiful, they're they're now expensive. Um we were keen to hear, you know, what the kind of workers canteen thought about the motorcycles as much as the director's restaurant. You know, we, we wanted to get this sort of, I guess for want of a better phrase, phrase, you know, the the, the blue-collar voice as much as the white-collar voice. Um and that's that's how the, the project started.
0: Right. And you did. You interviewed uh, family members. You interviewed assembly uh, assemblymen. You interviewed apprentices. Uh, mm. Matt, Matt Jackson, uh, Philip Vincent's daughter, I believe it was. And then you've got Paul Simon, Jay Leno, everybody chiming in about these motorcycles. <clears throat> you said, sadly, some have passed away. But this mm. was a long time ago. What was it, 48 to 52 or something like that, the production? Well, they...
1: It, it's it's a bit longer they they actually started in 1928 oh um, wow but they were kind of i wouldn't say dilettantes that would be unfair but they weren't making many bikes in the late 20s and 30s they really came on song in 1946 they they launched this 1000 cc repeat which just leapfrogged the opposition uh and you know the american motorcycles as well so this this vincent rapide which they developed and built and designed during the war because it came out in 1946 and and that sort of confirmed it was a 110 mile an hour motorcycle Uh, and as you know most vehicles in 1946 would struggle to get to 45 or 50. so this thing could could go twice the speed of a model t ford and you know an austin 7 or whatever was on the roads and that was, I think, that that's really where the big production numbers came. They made eleven thousand motorcycles in all, which is kind of more than one thinks or people expect. And as I say, the, the bigger factories, Triumph and Norton and Harley Davidson and Indian, were were really turning out models that hadn't progressed that much. And Vincent's just introduced this new model. And it dispensed with the frame. The engine was what's called a stress member. So that meant it was a, a shorter wheelbase. It was a more nimble motorcycle. And the United Kingdom in 1946 was was really on its knees. You know, the war had cost a lot. So rationing was, some people say it was worse in, after the war than it was during the war. You know, it, it, bacon, petrol, butter... All the staples were rationed. It's like a communist country. But they had the drive and the vision to launch this amazing product, which, as we said in the film, nobody needed and few can afford.
0: I wonder if if it's not just like I, I said at the beginning, I'm not any expert. My only experience with motorcycles is I know my grandfather had an Indian and I know that my uncles rode Hondas. I don't, and I know what harley David. everybody knows what Harley-Davidson is. Mm-hmm. So my education of motorcycles recently is coming from films like yours and also riding, uh, watching shows like Ride with Norman mm-hmm. Reedus, Cycle Buff. And I didn't know BMW made motorcycles. So mm-hmm. having this film that's so educational and entertaining, and you said 110 miles per hour, I'm sure some people would find that thrilling i find it terrifying but yeah. it's also it's also nice to watch like uh with mad jack and the the races and I, i'm sorry i forget his name but the guy that was riding the motorcycle and banking mm. i was ah, ah. yeah it, it was electrifying
1: <clears throat> yeah I that's think- um john Surtees, who yeah. yeah worked worked at vincent's and you know is and was and probably will remain so the only the only person to win, you know, the Formula One championship in a car and the 500 Grand Prix championship on a motorcycle, are just an amazing achievement. And there's it, it, in motorcycles and cars, they, they live in different lanes. And a lot of people have tried to progress from one to the other. And only John Surtees has won the whole kind of blue ribbon title on two and four wheels. Um and it was great to talk to him. It, t- it took a lot of effort. He was, he was quite careful about doing interviews. He didn't court publicity, but I eventually sort of got him to agree. And then as soon as we sat down and the camera goes on, he was just wonderful. He had all these memories, th- this wonderful recall of events seventy years ago. So it was, it was better than I expected, and it, it was quite emotional for him because he. His son was killed in a car accident only about, I guess, four or five years before. And John's first racing was in the sidecar of his father's racing motorcycle outfit, which was a Vincent. So he, he he sort of had this parallel story of his family, his son, his father, a lot to do with the Vincent Motorcycle Company, which was his first job. He was an apprentice. It it was great, and and we filmed him for not long you know he was very busy busy schedule maybe 45 50 minutes but almost all of it is brilliant which is great because as you know often there's a lot of oh well we can cut that we can cut that almost all of john's stuff was like we'll we'll use this we'll use this
0: that's so sad to hear about that loss and to lose your child in a in a way meant or means so much you, personally, you know, like, yeah. God, that just, oh, so traumatic,
1: so tragic. Yeah. It, it, it's dreadful, and um, it knocked him sideways, as you can imagine, for, for many years. And it was at Brands Hatch, which is a circuit, sort of 30 or 40 miles from London, which is where he first got his experience of motorcycle racing in the sidecar of his father's thing. And, uh, you know, I wish I could have thought more about that but we didn't have the time and the the, the story was about the vincent motorcycle
0: right praise for another day another documentary
1: yeah. yeah
0: wow well i'm glad that you have got to talk to him and knowing uh the, the tragedy of his son but also it seems like you said he didn't do a lot a lot of interviews but maybe that's because he wasn't in it for fame he was in it for the race
1: mm. that's right Amazing. yeah to- totally obsessed with the with the results as as obviously all the people at that level are um but i think john was someone who yes i i was told by at at his funeral i went to his funeral and um one of his mechanics told me that he i think he had some sponsorship offered you know formula one is all about money so he had some sponsorship offered by a, a big client And the deal was, you know, the client's son can drive one of the cars. And most Formula One team owners would go, yeah, bring him on, bring him on, you know. But John being John said, I don't think he's good enough. And so the sponsorship just disappeared over the hill. (laughs) So he he lost, you know, millions of pounds of sponsorship because he was too honest. Uh, And a, a, a more adroit Formula One team owner would have said, yo, your, your lad's got a great deal of promise. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll bring him on the team. And he'd come last or second to last. But uh, John didn't work like that. It, it, it was performance. And that was it.
0: Well, it's also a bit of ethics too, because yeah, this is going to reflect on me or on my car, that you're not yeah. up to par. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, him for knowing his worth, honestly.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and and rather like Vincent. You know, he, he didn't want to compromise and he didn't want to take the easy route. Um, he wanted to do the best he possibly could and the money was less important, which brings its own penalties. But that yeah. was true of both of them.
0: I mean, at, at some point, you do need the money. <laughs> That's you an do. important that's an important thing. Well, then you yeah. get into uh, the Black black Lightning. World's fastest standard motorcycle. 150 miles per hour. I'm scared. <laughs> mm. But I can imagine and I can appreciate the wonder of that. And this is yeah. the one that for a million dollars, $1.2 million?
1: Yes. There's, there's been two that have sold for over a million dollars. So one of them is... Uh, Fully verified because it, it sold at an auction. So that's one of the motorcycles in the film, and that was the Southern Hemisphere, Australia, New Zealand, fastest. It was actually the fastest motorcycle or car. I think he did one hundred and forty-four. And then the very famous one is the one with Roly Free stretched out on the motorcycle. He yeah, took yeah. his leathers leathers off because. They got to 148. He really wanted to get to 150. And Philip Vincent had kind of said in his confident way, wow. you know, this thing will do 150. So the the most foolish and bravest and bizarre land speed record attempt ever. Rowley did the record attempt with a crash helmet and swimming trunks <laughs> and a pair of a pair of sneakers. And you, you just go, It's 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 madness, but it's brilliant. And it was on the Bonneville Salt Flats, so it's literally salt. So you can imagine if you took a spill. And one of the biggest problems with motorcycle fatalities, um, and I only learned this a few years ago, I've been riding bikes all my life, is you think it might be you know, severe broken bones or broken neck. It's, it's often abrasions. problem is you know, an infection sets in. So he would have been a conner at uh, 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 30 or 40 miles an hour, never mind a 150. That's a very famous motorcycle picture.
0: I can see their reasoning, avoiding a traumatic brain injury, but also yeah. you take the chance to deglove your entire body. I'm like, ooh, I have enough of a, a vivid imagination to just think of every single thing that could possibly go wrong.
1: And yeah, then- and <clears throat> your, your, your skin is the biggest organ, isn't it? So it, 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 it would be curtains, but he was this, he was like a lot of the people in the film, I guess, you know, I'd say John Surtees and William Benson. And these people set records because they're brave and they're focused and they're up for the challenge. And that's what Roly III did in 1948 at, at Bonneville. And there's, there's a great backstory, which we really found out quite late. You know that Vincent had gone over to America he promised this guy called John Ecker you know my motorcycles to do 150. John Ecker ordered one and then they back in Stevenage in England they built one and tested it a little bit but not much so it was this you know and then yet they had to get to Bonneville by September because after September the weather comes in and it's it's not a dry lake it becomes a wet lake and so you get this whole mini drama of can he do it can the factory do it? can the bike do it uh, and and that became really interesting and we, we spoke to John Edgar's son William who's this tremendous guy a, a photographer and a filmmaker and he remembers Vincent visiting and you know they had a few scotches and uh, Vincent with his typical confidence oh, this will do 150 uh, but it did. Well, he had to strip to his swimming trunks to do it.
0: Well, you can't have that drag, you know, you, got, yeah. you gotta be. Well, what a wild, like, I can't, I guess maybe I'm a little coward because I can't conceive of the bravery or mm. the the cojones that is needed mm. to that risk in the pursuit of proving the worth, you know, of a bike. Yeah. I, it just scares me. It scares me, but yeah. it, also wonderful and exciting at the same time it's so i'm so conflicted but i can hmm. i can completely understand the mindset that these riders are in or were in
1: yeah sure. well you know they are they are special people and you could say they're they're special in a good and a bad way because they they do risk everything in pursuit of a record but they're the pioneers you know and 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 vincent didn't do it on the motorcycle but he Built the motorcycle that allowed them to do it. And so he, you know, he was an outlier. He was a pioneer. Um, he could have built a, a much slower, cheaper motorcycle, but it didn't seem to occur to him that that would be an idea. It, it had to be the best.
0: And the fastest, apparently.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. I would give anything to, to be in his, his brain just for a couple minutes, just mm. to see the workings of it. Yeah. <clears throat> So of the the Black Lightnings, am I right that there's only a couple dozen, a few dozen left?
1: Yeah, there's there's about, I think they've built 31 or 32. Inevitably, when these objects get to a certain level, the provenance is all, most of the Black Lightnings are accounted for. The Black Shadow was the road-going version, though some Black Lightnings were ridden on the road. So the Black Shadow was the kind of the 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 sports version and that would do 125 and that came out 1948-49 which as we were discussing you know you most of the world was traveling at 30 40 miles an hour and the idea that this motorcycle could not just go past 125 but cruise past at 100 or 110 it's it's like a rocket ship and 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 motorcycles have always been fast because they're light and you know they're, they're, they're reasonably streamlined it takes a lot more to make a car fast but i i do think the the, the vincent was special and you, you hear all these rumors in america that, that they were banned i mean this is all kind of urban myth but they were banned in california because they were too fast and one of the guys in the film did tell us a great story though, uh, and we we didn't have room for it in the film. But Marty Dickinson, who was sort of hired by Vincent and an LA dealer, to basically go on a guerrilla guerrilla marketing exercise. So he he was dispatched down to Arizona and Nevada, and 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 the deal was, we'll pay your expenses. Just show up in a town and show them what a Vincent could do, and he raced the the motorcycle police, and they'd heard about the Binson, and, and of course, in those days, it was just magazines, you know, there's no internet. So they said, well, how fast is this thing? And he said, well, you know, we can find out. And uh, I love it, just on the start line, he, he said to the motorcycle cops who were on in Indian, Indians, he said, if I beat you, are you going to give me a ticket? And they said, no, 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 we won't give you a ticket. And he beat them. But they couldn't buy them because the American police forces apparently – were directed and, you know, basically they had to buy American products. So it was Indian or, or Harley.
0: They had they had those contracts, probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> he made his point. He he brought the the vision of Vincent's bikes. Oh, could you imagine the the car chases now? <laughs> the, yeah. the police. Meow. <laughs> so.
1: I know. I know. And you know, that's uh, I'm rather fascinated with that period, immediately pre-war but post-war. You know, I just think it was coming through the Second World War as as all the characters in the film did. So this is what I learned with our – we had some wonderful editors, um, Russell Ike and Liz Deegan, you know, and I thought I'd kind of gone to them with a a, a nearly ready product and I realised I'd actually gone to them with a demo tape and they they brought so much to it. And, of course, one of them is just finding the clarity, what do the protagonists know at this point in the film? So they didn't know that, um, you know, war would break out in 1939. They, you know, they didn't know during the war that it would end in 1945. I mean, possibly this applies more to the United Kingdom because I think the economy was much more shut down. So there was no motorcycle manufacturing really in in the war there was no motorcycle races it it was different in america and then they emerged and you know the country was was in recovery and rationing was it it kind of stayed around it endured until i think 1950 or 51. so five years after the war in the uk were were pretty tough as well
0: i mean it's just recovery at that point you know Wow. yeah what I think is most crazy to me just about uh, the motorcycle in general is that somebody somewhere decided to strap an engine or a motor on a bike frame, a bicycle frame, you know, and just yeah. was like, how fast we can make these. And there's something like the motorcycle was invented at this point, And then the motorcycle helmet was invented at this point. It's kind of mm. like deadly trial and error of what, you know, yeah. to get Safe as well as fast. It's like this whole arc of discovery. And I just find yeah. that cool to like high performance, you know, engines and, and bikes.
1: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> modern bikes are amazing. But when, when I left university in the 80s, I was a, a motorcycle journalist for three years, three or four years, which was, you know, great fun. And you get to ride these sort of very fast motorcycles. It, I I did kind of come to the conclusion that that journalistically there wasn't wasn't always a great deal there because the one year's model was always faster than the previous year's model and I I kind of got bored writing that Um, and the paint would be different and the brakes would be upgraded but now you know motorcycles you can just go and buy a motorcycle that would do 190 or 200 miles an hour and you can buy a car but it's maybe two hundred thousand three hundred thousand dollars you can buy a motorcycle for twenty or thirty thousand dollars and there's they they've always been I think at the performance edge and uh, you know that goes back to the 1910s um 1920s but the, the, there's always been this cult of association as you say with speed with danger um I mean I kind of regret it because I think they're just a it's a lovely way to travel if you don't go at 150 miles an hour there's nothing better than going down a country lane at 40 or 50 miles an hour on a motorcycle because all all the smells all the scent you're much more in the environment an open-top car is similar right Uh, but a motorcycle because you lean in it's like flying and it's much more involved
0: Right. And you feel almost more connected uh to the to the road because you can feel it. You know, you can that Yeah.
1: You've got two wheels, one steers and one drives. It's it's really simple in a way, which is great.
0: I definitely think that the speed factor is more for people that want the thrill. You definitely Mm -hmm. can't cruise and enjoy nature at two (laughs) hundred. What was that? You know, it's like, no, it's not happening. And I, I, think I forgot to mention. Speaking of people who love to ride motorcycles, you and McGregor narrated this. Mm. Hello, uh, you know that's pretty cool. And I know he had done a show where he, I think I forget what country it was, but he went like cross country on on his bike. So
1: he's done yeah. several. Uh, he, him, and Charlie Borman have done uh, yeah. maybe four or five, and they've done phenomenal mileages. Um, <clears throat> and that takes a lot of doing, you know. It takes a lot of endurance. Uh, a lot of commitment, and uh, yeah, it, I think he was just the, the perfect narrator. It's a British voice, and in, in a way, he you know he's very into Italian motorcycles and and British ones, but he didn't he didn't know that much about Vincent, so that was kind of cool. So you know, when I was talking to him, and then the script went over to him, he was on a bit of a journey of discovery. Hopefully, like the audiences as well.
0: See, that's what I'm saying. It's educational, entertaining, thrilling. And,
1: Great.
0: and it's just it just highlights how much this film this is like this labor of love for the sport for the you know, for the machine, really.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly been a bit of labor of love. We've been doing it eight or nine years.
0: Oh, but wow. you know, I,
1: I, I've been working full time. Um Jerry Jenkins in my co producer, for most of it he was working and we were sort of partly self-financing, but partly financing as we went along. So, you know, it's a very, it's, it's classic sort of independent sort of enterprise. We didn't go into this with with a pot of money and then thought how we spend it. we go, oh, we've, we've got the chance to go and meet these guys. <clears throat> we've got an interview with this person. There's this motorcycle that we can film at this racetrack. So that's how we did it. It uh, kind of hand to mouth and and that that takes time actually because you're you 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 are just trying to feed the beast and then edit what you've got have a think about it um and then obviously when Ewan came on board and he sort of phoned me out of the blue because somebody gave me gave him my number um, and then we got the script together, and obviously I told him it was it was all ready. This, this the script is finished, but it wasn't. So I said I'll, I'll get it to you next week. And it, it's several evenings of just staying up very late, getting the script done. But that's fine, you know. You you, you do need a deadline, don't you?
0: Well, yeah, you have to have something yeah. to prod you to get it done. But yeah. it's not to like go heavy on the the motorcycle. <laughs> allegories but you put the film together piece by piece piece just like you build a bike I mean and it took yeah. the time I think it's just it's so cool it's out on digital DVD September 26 what's yeah. up next for you
1: uh <clears throat> so it plays in Los Angeles tomorrow evening but I' I'm, I'm, I'm not able to make it over there it plays at the Lely theater which is in Santa Monica and then there's a, a limited cinema release across the states. Uh, and then I'm, I've am i sort of started my next project, and I, maybe I should have taken a break. I think I probably should have done, um, which is about a food writer, uh, a wonderful woman who kind of changed the way the British thought about food, but in some ways not dissimilar to Philip Vincent, you know, a, a real pioneer, somebody who did it her way, and similar sort of period from, Pre-war period to the post-war, uh, and I've done a couple of interviews for that, so I've, that's my next project. Well,
0: that sounds cool. And what yeah. theater premiere at in Santa Monica? <clears throat> Lemley? The Lemley.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can so he- it's on Second Street. Yeah, there's 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 some tickets left. So get down oh, there. With, there's a Q and A with James, our American producer, James Salter, uh, yeah. Philip Vincent's grandson and hopefully uh, a lovely guy called john griffiths who is one of the last people who actually worked at the vincent factory so he's in the film um and he's just moved from las vegas up to la living with his son so john will be there which would be great i mean because he was uh, he was a great interviewee very full-on frank opinions super bright guy um and, you know, kind of pretty critical of Vincent, which is fine. You know, you, you're, you're trying to present a full picture of a man who could be quite difficult. So, you know, we didn't want to shy away from that.
0: And that's tonight or tomorrow night?
1: Tomorrow night, 20th.
0: Is there a website that people can keep up with the film and keep up with these events?
1: Yeah, um, speedisexpensive.com.
0: That makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, and... um <laughs> uh one of the things i'm gonna get done in the next day is just to get the pre-order links up there because it's really just me and jerry doing this it's it's been a lot of balancing and juggling you know if people ring up and go you could get your secretary to do that and go oh, i haven't got a secretary okay. you, you could get your researcher to do that and go, well i am the researcher <laughs> <laughs> you, you could get your music editor to do that well that's jerry <laughs> it's it's a kind of wizard of oz exercise of um Behind this facade, there's right. there's two guys.
0: <laughs> Just the two of you, and you're you're moving the big puppet, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a big film, um, but that's okay. That's that's been part of the fun, you know. I'm i I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of what Jerry and I have achieved, you know. Hopefully, people like the film, but to bring it to this point has been been a real achievement, I think. Yeah.
0: And it's here. It's it's going to be on the screen. Well, congratulations. You did You did everything you set out to do because you reached me this or know very little about motorcycles, girl. And I'm educated. I'm entertained. I'm tempted to go for a bike ride, but not in my swim trunks.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Never do that. No, That's it, it, only been done once and it's been done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It has to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, David. I hope you have a wonderful night. And thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Really lovely to talk to you.
0: Absolutely. Well, you have a good night. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 This has been an Odd Imagination production. Here at Odd Imagination, you'll find book, film, television, and product reviews, as well as roundtable discussions, current events, and hot topics. We are advocates for equality and the freedom to be who you are, no matter what. Autimagination gets its name from autism and imagination, two things that are very important to us. If you would like more information on Autimagination and the podcasts that we host on our website, you can visit a u t i m a g i n a t i o n A-U-T-I-M-A-G-I-N-A-T-I-O-N.org.
1: But I don't, I don't I don't seem to be in control I ain't blind, I can see I'm killing her and it's killing me Tell me something I don't know She knows the poison pulling me She knows all about the drug I plagiarized all my apologies And they still want enough I know, I know I should let her go, but I don't, I don't, I don't seem to be in control, I ain't blind,
0: I can't see
1: To be in control, I ain't blind, I can see. I'm killing her.